Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But before you can truly learn from the tales of our past, you must first understand them. And you're in luck because you found the one and only show that dives deep into the historical figures of our past and how key events have shaped the world that we live in today. You're tuned to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Right here on WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. With your host of today's show, Connor Bolanos. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, where today we're going to be talking about someone that at least most of you on Hillsdale are probably familiar with, whether it be from a Constitution class or whether it be from a history class. We're going to be talking about Alexis de Tocqueville, the French writer, the French statesman, who was um, responsible for writing works such as Democracy in America and The Old Regime and The Revolution. Now, besides being mainly a political writer and, and, and to some extent a founder of um, a new sort of political ideology, mainly in the sense that he redefined to some extent classical conservatism of the time. Um, Tocqueville was also a very prominent statesman within France. Um, but before we get into that, we need to talk about the origins of Tocqueville. Now, Tocqueville was born on the 29th of July, 1805, in an old Norman aristocratic family. Um, his great, he's the great-grandson of the statesman Mal Sherbs, who was guillotined in 19... 19- in 1794, his parents, um, his father, Hervé Louis François Jean Bonaventure Clairel, the Count of Tocqueville, was an officer of the Constitutional Guard of King Louis XVI, and his mother was Louise Madeleine La Palatière de Rosanbeau, who narrowly escaped the guillotine due to the fall of Maximilien Robespierre in 1794. So, right off the bat, you can tell a lot of people in his family were royalists. They were in a sense, targets of the revolution, and it's only by luck that they survived. And this is something that we'll see going forward. Definitely had an impact on his views of the revolution and on liberalism as a whole. Now, during the time of the revolution, Tocqueville, for the most part, was relatively um, quiet and whatnot as a result of the whole persecution of aristocratic families. But under the Bourbon Restoration, Tocqueville's father became a noble peer and prefect, and Tocqueville at the time attended the Lycée Fabert in Metz. Now, Tocqueville would enter politics during the period of the Dreyer monarchy, the monarchy ruled by um, Louis-Philippe from 1830 to 1848, and he began his political career towards the mid of this in around 1839. In 1839 to 1851, Tocqueville served as a member of the lower house of parliament for the Manche department, where he sat on the... Se- on the center left of the political spectrum as a part of the movement party, where he defended abolitionist views, upheld free trade, but also supporting the colonization of America carried on by Louis Philippe's regime. So even though he was a critic of the Philippe, Louis Philippe regime and the whole July monarchy as a whole, there were some aspects such as the colonization of Algeria that he supported. In 1847, still during the reign of the July monarchy, um, Tocqueville sought to found a new political party called the John Gache which was a more liberal-leaning party that sought to advocate wage, in- wage increases as well as a progressive tax and a numerous other labor concerns in order to undermine the appeal of socialists, who Tocqueville pretty much saw as a threat to the existence of France. So Tocqueville, by making a political party that would perhaps appeal to some of those socialist voters, he sought to diminish their overall power in the French government. Tocqueville then would go on after the fall of the July monarchy in the 1848 revolutions and the institution of the Second Republic, would go on to join the Party of Order, a political group formed by monarchists and conservatives in the, in the French parliament. 
It, sir, it included many prominent members of Monarchists from both the Orleanist and Legitimist factions. The Orleanist, Orleanist faction being those who supported the July monarchy of Louis Philippe and the Legitimists who supported the Bourbons um, who were overthrown when the July monarchy was implemented. But it also included some Republicans, such as pro- most prominently Adolf Fiers, who admired the United States model of government, which was something that the Party of Order in some ways advocated for. After the 1848 elections to the French Parliament, the Party of Order was the second largest group of deputies after the moderate Republicans, with 250 of the 900 seats within the French Parliament. Now, prominent members at the time, as I mentioned before, included Adolphe Thiers, Francois Guizot, who's a prominent French historian, and Alexis de Tocqueville being the most prominent of these leaders. And the party won an absolute majority with these influential figures really spearheading the movement in the 1849 general election. And at this time, they established themselves um, as opposed to the presidency of Louis-Napoleon Bonaparte, who had become president of the Second Republic in pretty much a landslide in the 1848 elections. Although Louis, Louis Bonaparte included members of the party in his administration in order to court the political center right, they still as a whole largely opposed him, and it was because of this that Louis-Napoleon would go on to perform a coup d'etat on top of the fact that he was constitutionally limited to one term in December of 1851, where the party was dissolved and its members largely exiled, given their opposition to Louis-Napoleon. But on top of being a member within Parliament, Tocqueville was also very um, involved in his more regional government, as he was elected General Counselor of Manch in 1842, and became the President of the Department's General Council during the years 1849 and 1852, with him only resigning once the Second Empire came around and he refused to pledge allegiance. It was during this time that, according to one account, Tocqueville's political position became so untenable as a result of his opposition to Napoleon um, that he was mistrusted by both the left and the right, which caused him to seek some excuse to leave France. But once again, outside of being not only just a statesman in the French parliament and also a member of the regional government, Tocqueville was also very involved within the founding constitution of the uh, French of the 1848 Second French Republic. So after the fall of the July monarchy in February of 1848, which is when the revolution officially dethroned Louis Philippe, Tocqueville was elected as a member of the Constituent Assembly, where he became a member of the commission charged with drafting the new constitution for the Second Republic. In this constitution, he defended bicameralism and the election of a president of the republic by universal suffrage. As the countryside was thought to be more conservative than the laboring population of Paris, Tocqueville thought that universal suffrage was conceived as a means to counteract the revolutionary spirit of Paris. During the Second Republic, and for the brief time that it existed, Tocqueville continued to side with the party of order, as I mentioned earlier, against a lot of socialists, who he saw as a threat to his constitution and the state of France as a whole. A few days after the February insurrection in 1848, he believed that a violent clash between Parisian workers led to the socialist agitating socialist agitation in favor of a, quote, democratic and social republic, end quote. And the conservatives, who Tocqueville was a part of in the Party of Order, which included the mainly at this time the still existing aristocracy and the rural pop- population, was inescapable. As Tocqueville had foreseen, these would actually come and explode during the June Days Uprising in 1848. Led by General Cavignac, 
The suppression with su of this uprising was supported by Tocqueville, who advocated the regularization of the state of siege declared, and he supported other measures, including the suspension of constitutional order at the time, which kind of shows that although Tocqueville wanted, I guess it really shows the extent to how much he disliked the socialists, how much he thought the socialists were a threat to the state, so much so to the point that he, a great supporter of the constitution, would go on to suspend constitutional powers. And it was during this time where he was continuing to write the actual constitution, constitution within the Constitutional Commission where he incorporated these ideas I mentioned earlier by cameralism. And a lot of these were based out of his experience in visiting North America. For anyone just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. The show where we dive deep into the historical figures of our past to better understand our present. For all of you just tuning in, welcome back to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. We're going to get right back into talking about Alexis de Tocqueville, the great statesman and writer of France during the 19th century. Now, at this point, it's getting kind of repetitive me saying it, but not only was Tocqueville a great statesman within the French Parliament, not only was he a constitutional writer, not only was he an author in some sense, but he was also a member of, for a brief time, the government of Napoleon III during the Second Republic as a minister of foreign affairs. Now, having been a supporter of Cavignac in the party of order, Tocqueville was one of the candidates who was most um, sought after to put in the compromising government of Louis Napoleon. And as such, he accepted an invitation to answer Odilon Barreau's government as a minister of foreign affairs from June 3rd to, June 30, to October 31st, 1849. During the more troubled days of June 1849, he pleaded with the interior minister, Jules Armand Dufour, for the reestablishment of the state of siege in the capital and approved arrest of demonstrators. Remember, at this time, this was the June Days Uprising as a result of socialist agitation. Now, Tocqueville, who since February 1848 has supported laws had actually supported laws restricting political freedom and approved uh, right then and there two laws that after the 1849 June Days Revolution um, restricted the liberty of clubs and the freedom of the press. So in this part, you see, I guess, some sort of stark contrast between the thoughts of Tocqueville. On one hand, Tocqueville is supported by cameralism. He supported a republic. He supported, at one point earlier, as I mentioned, universal suffrage. But at the same point, he despised, it seemed, the socialists. So much that upon the revolution and upon the sign that socialist agitation may lead to the downfall of the state, Tocqueville supported measures that restricted the po political liberty, uh, rescinded the Constitution, and these other measures that really went against what it seemed he fundamentally believed in. Now, the act of support in favor of laws restricting political freedom, as I mentioned, seems to stand in contrast to everything he says, including his work in democracy in America. But according to Tocqueville, he, quote, favored order as the sine qua non for the conduct of serious politics. I hope to bring the kind of, kind of stability to French political life that would permit the steady growth of liberty unimpeded by the regular rumblings of the earthquakes of revolutionary change, end quote. So what Tocqueville here means, and I guess one way in which you could settle the differences um, in regards to why he did these things that seemed so against his nature, is that he compared the socialist revolution to that of the French Revolution, where it appears to be, to some extent, a fight for liberty and greater rights. But in reality, the revolution is a real terror that seeks in its own way to restrict liberty. So I think Tocqueville here is saying that in order to ensure for the future that liberty can be reinstated, temporary measures must be taken to restrict liberty to curtail the current insurrections upon which then liberty can be re restored and nurtured. Now, 
this is pretty much the point at which Nepo- which um, Tocqueville's involvement within the government pretty much comes to an end. So as I mentioned earlier, Napoleon does his coup on the 2nd of December, 1851. And during this time, Tocqueville was among the deputies who gathered at the 10th arrondissement of Paris in an attempt to resist the coup and have Napoleon judged for high treason as he violated the constitutional limit on terms of office through the coup. However, Tocqueville was detained at Vincennes and then released and... Tocqueville, who also supported the restoration of the Bourbons against Napoleon III's Second Empire, you know, given his opposition to it, and he himself was more of a legitimist than he was an Orleanist, quit political life and retired to his chateau in Normandy. Now, against the image of Tocqueville, a biographer, Joseph Epstein, concluded that, quote, Tocqueville could never bring himself to serve a man he considered an usurper and a despot. He fought as best as he could for the political liberty in which he so ardently believed, had given it in all 13 years of his life. He would spend the days remaining to him fighting the same fight, but conducting it now from libraries, archives, and his own desks, end quote. And it was in this exile, per se, in his exclusion from French government, that he began the draft of l'ancien régime et la révolution, the old regime and the revolution, where he published the first tome in 1856, but unfortunately left the second one unfinished by the time of his death. If you're not reading and learning history, then you're doomed to repeat it. For all of you just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. For all of you just joining us, welcome back to another History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. We just got finished talking about, in a broad sense, the political life of Alexis de Tocqueville, talking about his involvement in the July monarchy, the Second um, French Empire, the Second Republic, his time as the French foreign minister, his time on a constitutional committee, and all the various ways in which he was influenced by these positions and how his political beliefs um, influenced his work in these positions during these various governments. Now, we're going to move on to some lesser-known topics about um, Alexis de Tocqueville. Many listeners, I'm sure, knowing the, if I'm to guess the general audience of everyone who's listening, has probably heard about, uh, about democracy in America. A number of you have probably also heard about the old regime and the revolution, because these are two of Tocqueville's most famous works. But I think one of the more um, looked-over um, looked works are his discourses on the conquest of Algeria. Now, this is entwined with, but separate from, the segment we just got done talking about with regarding his uh, political ideologies, because this is a lot more focused in on, I guess, his political beliefs than it is his actual work within the government, which we were previously discussing. So, French historian of colonialism, Olivier Lecour Grandmazion, underlined how Tocqueville used the term, quote, extermination to describe what was happening during the colonization of the Western United States and the Indian removal period. And Tocqueville, in a way, kind of contrasts this or compares it um, to the conquest of Algeria in 1841. Quote, as far as I am concerned, I came back from Africa with the pathetic notion that at present, in our way of waging war, we are far more barbaric than the Arabs themselves. These days, they represent civilization. We do not. This way of waging war seems to me as stupid as it is cruel. It can only be found in the head of a coarse and brutal soldier. Indeed, it was pointless to replace the Turks, only to reproduce what the worldly right found so hateful in them. This, even for the sake of interest, is more noxious than useful. For as another officer was telling me, if our sole aim is to equal the Turks, in fact, we shall be in a far lower position than theirs. Barbarians for barbarians. 
The Turks will always outdo us because they are Muslim barbarians. In France, I have often heard men I respect but do not approve of. The poor that crops should be burnt and granaries emptied and finally that unarmed men, women, and children should be seized. In my view, these are unfortunate circumstances that any people wishing to wage war against the Arabs must accept. I think that all the means available to wreck tribes must be used, barring those that the humankind and the right of nations condemn. I believe that the laws of war enable us to ravage the country, and that we must do so either by destroying the crops at harvest time or any time by making fast forays, also known as raids, the aim of which it is to get hold of men or flocks, end quote. Now, the reason I read this very lengthy quote is because, as I just mentioned a bit earlier, um, Tocqueville described the displacement of Native Americans in the Western United States and the Indian removal period as an extermination. Now, at Tocqueville, in some way, seems to be advocating, not, not completely, but to some extent, the same kind of extermination in regards to his conquest of Algeria, which kind of makes it seem as if, in some way, he's supportive of extermination of more Native people. As Tocqueville mentions that he thinks that all means available to wreck tribes must be used. He thinks that, as, as mentioned earlier, women, children, and men may need to be seized. He thinks that crops may have to be burned, which obviously will lead, and did lead, to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Algerian civilians. Now, Tocqueville thought, and the reason why he justified all of this, was that he thought the conquest of Algeria was important for mainly two reasons. First, he believed that the international situation and France's position in the world mandated to some extent that Algeria was conquered. He believed that France, in order to regain its glory, had to conquer Algeria, not to mention the fact it was in a very strategic position within the Mediterranean. And secondly, Tocqueville believed that changes within French society would... Re resulted in a need for an Algerian war, which he hoped would restore national pride, which was threatened. Now, Tocqueville thought that French society was threatened um, and whatnot because he believed that the middle class in a um, desire for a taste for material pleasures was spreading to the whole of society, giving it an example of weakness and egotism, which led to the gradual softening of, quote, social mores. So Tocqueville thought that through a unifying Algerian war, these vices and these less than great pieces of French society as a whole could be redeemed, could be eradicated, and the natural order that Tocqueville believed was essential in French society could be restored. Now, during the Algerian conquest, Tocqueville would applaud the methods of General Bergaud, and he went so far to claim that, quote, war in Africa is a science. Everyone is familiar with its rules, and everyone can apply those rules with almost complete certainty of success. One of the greatest services that Field Marshal Bergaud has rendered this country is to have spread, perfected, and made everyone aware of this new silence, end quote. In Algeria, Tocqueville advocated for racial segregation based on two distinct legislations, one for European colonists and one for the local Arab population. This very two-tier arrangement would be fully realized in 1870 with the Cremont Decree and the Indigenous Code, which extended French citizenship to European settlers and Algerian Jews, whereas Muslim Algerians would be governed by Muslim law and restricted to second-class citizenship. Now, while Tocqueville supported uh, the conquest of Algeria, he opposed the invasion of Kabli. In opposition to Oliver Lacour Grandmazion, the, the biographer who I recently mentioned who emphasized the point of extermination, Jean-Louis Bernard said that given the extent of racial prejudices during the colonization of Algeria, Tocqueville was one of its, quote, most moderate supporters, end quote. 
Bernard said it was wrong to assume Tocqueville was a supporter of Bugard, despite his 1841 apologetic discourse. It seems that Tocqueville modified his views after his second visit to Algeria in 1846, as he would come to criticize Bugard's desire to invade Cabli in an 1847 speech to the uh, French Assembly. Although Tocqueville favored retention of distinct traditional law, administrative schools, and so on for the Arabs who had come under French control in the invasion of Algeria, he judged the Berber tribes of Kabylie, um, in which he did so in the second of his two letters on Algeria, which were published in 1837, as savages not suited for this arrangement because he argued that they would best be managed not by force of arms, but by pacifying influences of commerce and cultural interaction, which went in contrast with the field marshal's whole kind of let's go in there and invade pretty much mentality in regards to Kabli. Tocqueville's opposition and change from encouraging military force to more so discouraging military force uh, culminated in the 1847 report on Algeria, where he declared and warned the countrymen and really people across Europe and the various nations who were at this time were partaking in colonialism, that the methods used towards the Algerian people remain unchanged. Colonization will end in a bloodbath. He included in this report on Algeria that the fate of their soldiers and their finances depended on how the French government treats the various native populations, including the various Arab tribes. In particular, um, Tocqueville differentiates between the term dominance and a particular version of colonization in the sense that Tocqueville, unlike many colonizers at the time, didn't seek to colonize through military force, but rather desired to colonize through cultural and economic means. With um, the end of the Algerian reports, Tocqueville at this point had pretty much, and near the end of his life, had written about Algeria, the United States, and the ancient regime and the revolution in France. Three very prominent works which really set a tone for liberalism, conservatism, and the various political ideologies, their beliefs, the French government style, um, throughout the 19th and the 18th century. So he really left an enduring legacy with these works. Unfortunately, though, Tocqueville wouldn't be able to finish some of his works, as I mentioned, such as the uh, old regime and the revolution. As a longtime sufferer from bouts of tuberculosis, Tocqueville would unfortunately succumb to the disease on the 16th of April, 1859, where he would be buried in the Tocqueville Cemetery in Normandy. Upon his death, Tocqueville left behind what I would think is a very impressive legacy to some extent. Although Tocqueville hadn't personally implemented many changes, yes, he was an influential member of government. Yes, he was an influential member of the Party of Order, the Movement Party, and these various... Um, in various political parties, not to mention he helped write the Constitution of the Second Republic. But while these were, in some cases, monumental or very great and important political achievements, I think the main emphasis of Tocqueville's legacy is probably within his writings and the way that his writings shaped European perceptions of American government, how his writings shaped European perceptions about the French Revolution and the old regime, and really, in, as a whole, how... His writings shaped European thoughts in regards to conservatism and liberalism. And with that, thank you everyone for joining us for another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Join us next week as we delve into yet another historical figure from our past. And that's all the time we have left today for you history buffs. There's many more historical figures from our past to discuss. So be sure to join us same time, same place next week for a new edition of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos.